Welcome to the podcast of Amago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're in a series called Practicing the Rhythms of Grace, and the way this series came about was essentially last year we went through the story, uh, read the story for a year, taught through the whole of the Bible, and then realized uh, that there was, there was sort of this way throughout Scripture that the people of God were in the world. There were these rhythms and practices that identified them, that put them into the story, helped them live faithfully into the story. And as we began to dream and think about what does it look like today in our kind of cultural moment to be the people of God, we, we came up with these five practices that actually God came up with in Scripture, but we're going to take credit for it. Um, but, but looked at what are these things that both turn us towards what God is doing in us, where he's at work in the world, that move us into his grace. So these practices are not, these rhythms are not things that we do to make grace happen. A lot of people in religious upbringings get burned out really quickly because they feel that uh, these spiritual disciplines are sort of just a mask for a, a spiritual treadmill that you never get off so that you can make God show up in your life. But the good news of the story is that God has showed up. He, he does care. He is present, and there is grace enough for everyone. So what does it mean for us to be not a church that has a bunch of exciting things going on, but a church that's faithful to learn to practice, to walk in these rhythms of grace, to turn our lives towards everything that God has already done so that we might display that kind of grace to the world around us. And so we talked about what would it look like for a year if we brought these rhythms into our lives and and so the first one is to hear and obey the word and spirit that instead of sitting down and hearing the word and then contemplating and deciding whether it's right or wrong or how much more you need to know before you can do anything with it, that when you hear the scripture wash over you, you would be in a posture that says, I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to join God. And for these last four, celebration, hospitality, vocation and generosity, I want us to look at one story in the Bible, which is the story of the prodigal son. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Jesus is um, in this situation where he has tax collectors and sinners gathering around, they're, they're listening to him, they're interested in what he's teaching, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're kind of like, you know, judging Jesus because of his crowd. And so he begins to tell these three parables, these three stories. And in verse 11, he tells the story of the lost son. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And today, the the practice that I want to talk about today is the practice of generosity. That, That for many of us, we have this picture of generosity that it's like we sit down and out of our stuff, we give some of it to somebody else. But this is a picture of a son who, who all of his resources came from the father. He didn't necessarily create them himself. The father gave him his share of the estate. And, and when you requested that in that culture, it was essentially like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my money? And he goes off and he uses those resources in his own security, pleasure, identity, whatever it is, and he just wastes them. And he comes to this place in this great state of need, recognizing that generosity is off the table. Grace is off the table. His relationship with his father is off the table. But he would dare to take a chance on just getting a job for his dad. Not being a son, but being a servant. The response of taking all of the father's resources and blowing it is that this God of generosity shows up with a ring and a robe and a party. And it is this this sort of off-putting story where the older son's out in the fields and he's ticked, he doesn't understand why we're having the party, but the father's heart is a heart of generosity. To give to his son even when his son didn't have good intentions, to meet his son in the depths of his need, and to put a ring and a robe and a party on him, and to celebrate. And you and I are people who have received everything that we have, everything that we are, from the Father's hand. So what do we do with it? 
Do we live in this rhythm of grace and practice this rhythm of grace in a way that points to the God who is this generous? Well, to talk about that today, to think about it, to pull it apart, to ask those hard questions of what does that actually look like, I've invited my friend Steve Atkinson to join me. Steve goes to Imago, has for years, and uh, he's going to help us out today. So you give an Imago welcome to Steve. So all we need you to do is make all of this make sense. Yeah, no problem. Good. This table, you, is, this, ta- this table is a little... It does feel, I feel uh, like I'm at the hi. kid's table. Hi. It's like a, if we had a coloring book or something, I'd be yeah. super stoked right now. This does feel like the Thanksgiving kid's table. Like, gosh, when are we going to get to the... Mom's cutting your meat for you. Thank so you. She'll be back. appreciate that, as long as you're not. Um, <laughs> so tell us... Um, you, you really are part of a kind of a movement of generosity where people's hearts are being captured by this idea that um, we serve a generous God and to reflect that God to the world. But it's sort of revolutionary to, to our own hearts, to our own culture. So, so tell me a little bit about your journey, how you got where you are working in this. Um, for me, uh, I spent uh, 15 years in the marketplace uh, sales and marketing, and in late 2001, uh, I was asked, my wife and I were asked if we would uh, join the Young Life staff and do development fundraising work for the Young Life camp in Central Oregon, uh, and so we thought it would be a three-year gig, and uh, left business in 2002, and early 2003, I was invited to go to a generous giving conference. A uh, friend of mine uh, asked if I wanted to go said we would fly to Orlando on his plane, so I immediately said yes, and I thought, this would actually be really good for my friend. And uh, I got there and I listened to the it first- It was a fun trip, I'm it, so glad I took yeah, you. Well, thanks, yeah, yeah. and your plane's so left. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, I heard something there, and I, I will look back at that time in 2003 and say that's definitely a defining moment in my life. Um, I heard, well, maybe I'd heard it before for the first time, uh, the verse in 1 Timothy 6. It's at the end of the passage where Paul says to Timothy, command those that are wealthy in this present day to live generously, not to put their hope in wealth, which can so easily disappoint, but to be generous and willing to share. And he lists a couple of reasons, but the very last one is the one that pierced my heart because he said, so that they can take hold of life that is truly life. And if I looked at my own life, and was honest, I don't know that I would say I was a generous person. And, and before me was this offer to take hold of life that is truly life, and that somehow if I wasn't living generously, I was living some cheap imitation version of what that was. And, uh, and so I would say, I'd look back and say that for me is where that journey started, and uh, we never, I never went back into business. Um, we climbed on this rocket ship, and it has been an amazing journey, and I feel like it has transformed me and my family, and uh, it truly is a movement that's happening both nationally and internationally. So, so why, like, when it comes to giving, giving, 
a lot of, I mean, a lot of us feel like we have, it's something God wants us to do. We never have quite enough. Um, it, it comes from this sort of scarcity mindset. There's not enough. And, and, and it's this taxing kind of thing, like almost like a God tax. Yeah. Uh, that I'll be nice with some of my money it's to get you to. off my back. Yeah, it's a have to versus not to. And, um, and, and, but nationally, it's not just like, like the church and the world aren't really that different when it comes to generosity no, and our money. In, in right? fact, the statistics are some of the most recent data that Christians give 2.8% of their income and non-Christians give 2.2%. Well, that's much better. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it's a race to the cellar. Um, it, it, it is, uh, I, I would say for me in my own journey, uh, and it's what I love about this topic and this idea of practicing the rhythms of grace. I see in my own life, I identify so much more with the elder son in that story. Uh, I think so much of my life had been really governed by fear and scarcity that there's not enough. Um, the elder son and, and how I identified with him was that I felt like I had worked hard and I had earned what I had and I was in this constant pressure of there not being enough and you know I don't know those who might be like me you have this little voice that sits on your shoulder that tells you that there's not enough and, and there's not going to be enough so you work harder and you build bigger piles and you just hope desperately that your father will be pleased with your effort of what you're doing and when I first went to that first conference and I heard the biblical message of generosity and the link between grace and generosity, I realized that for me, I didn't have an understanding. Much like the elder brother who's arguing with his dad about why are you throwing this party? And the dad, it's just so obvious the elder brother doesn't understand the father's heart. And I think that's where I was. And so as I entered into this journey of generosity, I realized that ultimately generosity is a byproduct of grace. That as we fall more and more in love or, or maybe are more aware of the Father's love for us, it changes us. I heard Randy Alcorn say it this way and I think it's just beautiful. He said that it is possible to give without having a deep understanding of grace. But he said it's impossible to have a deep understanding of grace and not give. He said, just like thunder follows lightning, so giving follows grace. God's grace is the lightning, and our giving is the thunder. And, and we can talk about practicing the rhythms of grace, but I'm saying if we want to be more generous, just dive head on into God's grace. Thunder doesn't practice being thunder. Thunder is simply a response to lightning and God's grace is the lightning and our giving is the thunder. And I know that's been true in my own journey. And, and as you, so, so generosity is much bigger than giving. And it, it starts with this deep encounter with our own experience of the ring and the robe and the party. That, that there's a God who was generous with us, who receives us and who celebrates us. Um, how have you seen that? work out in people's stories of generosity? I think it's, um, for me, there's just, there's examples along the way. Uh, and I feel like, you know, God uses stories so much in our lives to shape us. And I think for me, having had the opportunity to see 
some of that, that link between grace and generosity and understanding. Uh, a friend of mine, Daryl Heald, who lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, has five kids, and he and his wife have um, been intentional about wanting to adopt and, 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 and adopt some of the least adoptable. Uh, they've adopted young girls from China that have uh, physical challenges. And their first daughter, Lili, uh, came several years ago. And it was early on in Lili's journey here to the United States, and my friend Daryl was walking them around their home up on Lookout Mountain in, in Chattanooga. And Daryl's oldest daughter, biological daughter, was in her early 20s, and she was listening to her dad as he was touring her new little sister around their family home and said, Lili, let me show you your bedroom, and here's the house, and here's the yard, and oh, we're gonna go to your farm today, Lili. Did you know that you had a farm, Lili? Did you know that you had cows and horses? I can't wait for you to see all of that. And Frances, the older daughter, looked at this and thought for a second, wait a minute, what did Lili do to deserve all of this? How can he say this is all hers? And Frances said in a moment, she paused and thought, wait a second, how can I say I've earned any of this? This is all a gift from the Father. And that grace filled her heart. And she said, I've never thought of Lily as my adopted sister anymore. She's my sister. Because she and I both did the same thing to deserve what we have. And that is absolutely nothing. And that sense of scarcity, wait a second, hang on, what did she do? This is mine, turned into, no, this is an expression of the Father's extravagant love. I think it screams of our own adoption. It's where you and I are. What have we done to deserve any of this? And I think when, we, when that penetrates our heart, we shift from that sense of scarcity, which is where I live. I mean, I will be honest with you, the thing that keeps me from giving radically is this fear of not having enough uh, of scarcity. And so as I press into God's grace and his wild, extravagant, abundant love for me, I go from not having enough to having it all. Um, can I share one more story? Yeah. The, um, when I was doing the Young Life work, we were in the midst of building a club room. Uh, it's a message where, it's a place where the kids would hear the gospel every night. Uh, and we were coming down to the wire, and at that time my daughter Haley was 12 years old, and she knew there was this crunch. And we had talked about generosity a lot with our kids, and uh, Haley came to me one afternoon and she had $83 in fives and ones all kind of wadded up. And she said, Dad, here, I, I want to be a part of building that club room. And uh, I took the money and said, Geez, Haley, thank you. That's wonderful. And, and my wife looked at me and said, are you going to take that? And I said, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I want to encourage that. And this is what we're talking about. So I uh, took the money. Later that evening... I went by Haley's bedroom, and our girls growing up had three jars on their dresser, one for saving, one for spending, and one for giving, and all three jars were empty. And I went to Nance, and I, I said, hey, all three jars in Haley's room are empty. And she said, well, are you going to keep it? And without thinking about it, I simply said, yeah, I mean, it's easy for her. She knows her dad will take care of her. I didn't think of that line and how flippantly it came out until 10 years later, I was at a generous giving event, and somebody said, wow, I guess if we give generously, 
what we're really saying is that we trust that our Father will take care of us. I thought, man, that's exactly what it is. And when I just was excusing Haley because I knew at the end of the day, I would backstop her. Well, I think when God calls us to live generously, he's calling us to believe and trust that he will take care of us. It, it really is this, prof- this profound experience of grace, like knowing that the Father, he carries us, carries us around. He says this was all his. I think we get in this, like, this percentage is God's, this is mine. And we got kind of a good thing going, so don't look in my books. Kind of and the prophet yeah, sharing plan I'll, with God. I'll give you your bit, and then yeah. I don't talk about the other amount. That's, that's mine. That's for me. To, but, but what you're saying is that the grace that we experience actually says, no, the whole thing is God's, my life, my time, my energy, but also my money, which has profoundly yeah. impacted us as a culture in terms of where we get security. But also, so it's this experience of grace, but also this experience of security because when we see our kids being generous is what I'm hearing you say, we, we know that it's somewhere in there they trust they're going to be okay. <laughs> they're going to get taken care of. That's just sort of implicit. Um, not everybody's had that experience, but, but for the most part, you know, yeah. a six-year-old that like empties their piggy bank for someone doesn't go man, how am I going to buy food next week? Yeah. Right? But we do. <laughs> we do go, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? So I want to talk about the practice, like the real practice yeah. of generosity. When, it, when we move, like we have been encountered by this grace. We are growing in this understanding that, man, it's all his. Um, wh- what does it look like to live this out in the dailiness of our lives, our jobs, our Checkbooks. Yeah. For me, and what I've witnessed in others, is when it does shift from being mine, and now I'm paying this 10% God tax, and the rest of this is mine, to seeing it all as his. And then it's this putting myself in this posture to listen and to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with, with all that you have given me? And it really does begin to shift when I, don't, when I look and believe that by God's grace, I have everything. I'm not, uh, that, that he is, with his grace, I have it all. Regardless of where I'm at, I have it all. And he is all that I need. And it frees my resources up because I'm not finding my security and significance in my resources and what I have. And, and I think that's when it changes from a have to to a get to. I'm convinced that we are all created in God's image and that his DNA is in us. And that when we are living generously, we experience our Father's heart in a new and different way. Nancy Lee DeMoss said that when we live generously, we're living most like our Father. Because God so loved the world, he gave. That's who he is. And, and I'm convinced of it. If you, if you watch movies, if you, you, know, if you see a good story. If you heard just this story this morning about Paul. When you heard about grace showing up on Paul's front door and a check being handed to him and his rent being paid, didn't you feel something inside? Didn't you feel that sense of, I mean, you could almost feel it in the air. And it's what we experience, I think, when we live generously. It's like, it's the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe I'm dating myself, but if you've seen that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and at the end, when the community comes in and rescues George Bailey, there's something inside me that sings. It's like, I I once heard somebody say that when you sing in perfect pitch and you sing into a piano, the corresponding wire vibrates without touching the key. 
Music people have told me this is true. I believe it. I think that's what happens when we live generously, that something inside us resonates, that we go, we were made for this, and we experience this joy. We experience what Paul said to Timothy, life that is truly life. Or what Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And I think when people taste that and experience that, they live into that design. And it, it, and it goes from being a have-to to a get-to because I'm simply taking the Father's resources and deploying those. Um, I love it. A friend of mine took his family out to dinner, and they were down at Bridgeport, and they have his kids are in their early 20s. They finish dinner, they get in their vehicle, and they start to head off, and they notice the van in front of them has a, a tire that's just about flat. So they pull up alongside, and it's a young woman driving it, and they're kind of flagging her down, and she was afraid that they were trying to carjack her or something. But finally, they got her pulled over, and they went up, and they explained, and they said, hey, let us change your tire for you. And she said, okay, and was appreciative. And my friend's son got the spare out, and he's like, Dad, the spare looks worse than the tire that's on there. And so my friend said, hey, there's a, a tire shop not far from here. Follow us over there. We're going to get you a new tire. And so they pull into the tire shop, and it was about five minutes before they close, and, and the guy comes out, and he looks at the tire and looks at the van, and he said, hey, I'm sorry, but you can't just buy one tire. You need to buy all four. And the woman driving the van was just, her heart sunk. And my buddy said, well, what are we waiting for? Let's buy four tires. And they bought the four tires for the van. This woman is in tears calling her husband in Gresham to say what has just happened. And when my friend and his family got back in their car to drive away, his 22-year-old son looked at him and said, best day ever, Dad. Best day ever. And there's that sense of when we live generously, when we live generously, something happens inside of us. I'm so torn. I live in this tension of saying, if I just save enough, if I just put enough away, if I just get that, I watch, my life will be better. <laughs> but I'm telling you, no amount of money I save or no amount of money I consume comes close to when you have the opportunity to bring what's up there down here. Because when we live generously, I believe it screams that we are people that are committed to the way things ought to be. And we're deploying those resources that have been given to us to make it that way. I've, I, I, I've often said I've never met an unhappy, generous person. And I've never met a former giver. Because once you experience that, you don't step on the brake. I think you start traveling at light speed with your hair on fire because you realize the impact our resources have. There's, there's so much going on with that Sorry. story in terms of a... <laughs> I get excited sometimes. No, I can tell. Um, but, but, you know, there is a piece of me that goes, this is actually a good deed gone wrong. You know, like I know I'm, like, I'm just saying, if you're honest in the moment, it's like, hey, let's help someone with their tire. Oh, they actually need it. We can buy them a tire. No, they need four tires. Then you're like, hey, I got to go see a guy about a thing, but uh, <laughs> glad you got. Hope that works out for you. Hope that worked out for yeah. you. And, um, but, what, but what actually happens is that this person is postured towards generosity, willing to participate in something God's doing, so they're available. They get involved in a situation which is really just their on-ramp to a much bigger story and is, is going to require much more than, hey, let's change a tire. Yeah. And, and God is somehow, like you had mentioned in the first service at the 
the guy at the tire company was like, hey, you can have them at cost. I yeah, want everybody. So it becomes this thing. viral yeah. kind of piece that everybody's engaged in. Yeah. The transformation isn't just in the person that gets graced, but it's in the person who. Oh, I'm who convinced gives. of that 100. percent I mean, I I'm not one that believed that that God is up there wringing his hands, saying, "Oh, there's so much I could do if they would just give." Somehow that makes me God. But God is God, and he's going to do what he's going to do, and it's an invitation. It's an invitation. My friend went to, family, went to dinner with his family. They don't make the attempt to pull over this woman and, and change her tire that eventually ends up. I, don't, I think he misses out on his 22-year-old son going, best day ever, Dad, best day ever. And it's like we look at this as a have-to, and we look at this as how are my finite resources going to meet these needs but the reality is they're not our finite resources. It's the infinite resources. It's like the father in the story you read when the elder son is going, hang on a second, I worked so hard and you didn't even give me a goat. He's like, wait a sec, this is all yours. It's all yours. Mm-hmm. Lily, let me show you your ranch. Let me show you your room. I mean, it's like that the father is screaming to us, please, this is yours. And calling us into yeah. that abundant and calling us into living open-handedly with our resources. I think of the story that Van was telling today as, as this dad, we don't know enough of the backstory why dad doesn't get in and give or whatever, but he's praying. And as a father who loves Jesus, I know I'd, how you pray for your kids. And, and that he gets to actually have his needs met by, by God, you know? And here is this gift that that, ever, that people come down here and put a buck in the... And for most people, this isn't an act of generosity, right? It's like, it's called change for a dollar. Like, it's just our spare change. For some of us in this congregation, that is there. Like, that's what I can afford. Um, because sometimes I think we believe that if we had a lot, we could be generous. Hmm. But really, generosity that taps into the kind of grace that you're talking about... It's like the widow's might, like God sees her heart and goes, that's generosity. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily look at the check, right, yeah. or the number. Oh, yeah. um, I, I believe that to be true, that it, it's different based on my posture. Do I see these as my resources that I'm giving to God, or do I see them as God's resources, all of them? God's never going to ask me about what I gave. He's going to say, what would you do with what you hung on to, to further the kingdom? And there's nothing wrong, I mean, but... The things that we consume, and we're not about being the lifestyle police, but when I begin to look at all of my resources and how I can deploy those to advance the kingdom, to bring what's up there down here, it really isn't a matter of accounting. Because when people will ask me, so, hey, generosity guy, how much should I give? Gross, net, what am I supposed to do? You know, all that stuff. It's like, I will say over and over again, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek for Becoming more generous can become an idol, and that's not what we want. What we want is people to seek first the kingdom of God because there's something that happens in my relationship with my father when I say to him, and when I put myself into a posture of surrender, what is it you want me to do with these resources you've given me? How can I deploy those? And how can I see your kingdom grow? How can I bring what's up there down here? And, it, and it, it's like you have these stories of the tires, and granted, maybe we're not all in a place to do that, but I think sometimes it can be as simple as leaving a tip that's maybe extravagantly generous. There was a group of buddies and I were at a restaurant in Denver just before Christmas. The waitress comes out and 
her phone rings and she goes, oh, excuse me, she goes, my daughter's home at sick and I just need to make sure she's okay. And so she comes back to the table and she takes our order and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm with my buddies, I don't wanna make it a big deal, but I'm thinking I'm gonna just leave her a little more, maybe just 20 bucks or something just to kind of help. Because for a lot of us, 20 bucks makes a difference. And interestingly enough, God was planting the same seed in that my four buddies and the buddy next to me goes, hey, what do you say we all go in? 20 bucks a piece? And before we, I mean, it was yes, a resounding yes. And so she brings the check over and she sets it down and my buddy grabs his credit card and she goes, oh, you need to pay that up front. And he goes, okay, well, this is for you. And she takes what's in his hand and puts it in her apron. And I'm thinking, I can hardly wait (laughs) till she gets back and she opens and she looks. Three, four minutes later, she walks back out, tears streaming down her face. And she said, you guys made my day. You made me cry. And I'm thinking, 20 bucks? I could make somebody's day. I could make them cry. I can bring what's up there, down here, to a single mom in Denver just before Christmas. I love that. And it's not, you know, the million-dollar check or whatever. It's 20 bucks. It's just looking at it and saying, allow me to deploy these resources and in ways that can make a difference. It can let the world know that we're different, that we possess a wealth that allows us to give generously. And it's God's grace, and it's God's grace that's melted my heart. It really is this, um, it, it really is this place where you're transformed and secure, but in the Father's love, in his grace, you can live attentive, you can relinquish, you can show up. And it's so funny because, like, when you think of the waitress, you're not, you're not going to get into a long conversation and figure out how, how you can make her day. And, you know, obviously, but something as simple as, like, over-tipping, which Christians are notoriously not good at, yeah. um, can just reframe the whole experience for her. There are these pieces of how, once I get to this place where I've encountered that grace, then I can, I can live open-handedly and attentively. I think the attentively is the big piece. Because um, I know for many of us, we want to evaluate, well, is that a good investment? And what are they going to do with the money? And, da, da, da. and oh. here's the father going, hey, yeah. he's going to probably just like piss it all away. Yeah. Um, and he so gives it to him. And yeah. It's, no, it's, you said that. I, I, I agree. And it's like I all too often will run things through a matrix and saying, okay, is this a good investment? Are they going to waste it? Is this, gonna, you know, am I a, a, empowering them? What are all these things, these crazy ideas that run through my head? And then I stop and I pause and I think, is my heavenly father an example of stewardship, of good stewardship? And was I worth the investment of his son? Did he look at me and say, oh, well, he might squander that every day? every day, but my father is saying to me and to each one of us, just like the returning prodigal, on the day we're most ashamed to be us, I'm crazy about you. I'm crazy about you. Here's my robe, here's my ring, let's throw a party. And that to me is what melts my heart and I'm going, I want everyone else to experience this. And I can use my resources to heal the world. And, and, and encourage others. And the reality is, God doesn't need me to do that. He's inviting me to do that. And when I do, I take hold of life that is truly life, and I experience a joy that this world can't provide. 
So as we come down to this table um, today, it really is this picture of a generous God. It's, here's my son. Uh, and as Paul says, like, he who did not spare his own son but gave him to us generously, like, how will he not give us all things? And so as you come today to this table, you're coming down to the feast of grace, a table where there has been an abundance of grace for every human being in the history of the world to come and experience the ring and the robe and the celebration. And really the invitation is then to participate in, the, in sort of the scandal of offering that grace to the world by practicing this rhythm of generosity. Steve, would you pray for us as yes. we come to the table? As we come to the table, I'm just reminded of uh, what a friend says, that the only thing we have to offer God is our guilt. And in return, what he offers us is his grace. And what that results in is gratitude that is marked by our radical generosity. There were people that re realize we have it all. Father, we come to your table and we say thank you. And that just doesn't even seem like enough that while we were a long way off, you came running to us, put your arms around us. When we offered to go to work, you said nothing less than sonship, because that's not anything we can earn, and you gave your life. We give our guilt, you give us your grace, and may our lives be marked with radical generosity that screams of the grace that we have received. Father, melt our hearts as we come to the table. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.